0: welcome to the joy prescription podcast hi i'm your host dr cindy libert integrative physician wife mom of three business owner and follower of jesus hi brooke
1: jack here pastor entrepreneur wife and also a mom of three i'm thrilled to be dr Leibert's co-host on the joy prescription podcast Each month, we explore the art and science of healthy living for women in the fields of ministry and medicine, delving into subjects as diverse as brain health, the microbiome, scripture, leadership training, burnout prevention, entrepreneurship, and more.
0: Basically, we're here to help you thrive in all spheres of your life and calling so that you can walk with joy in your God-given purpose. We go deep with bold conversations about the truth, stepping into the abundant life and strategies for transforming your health, ministry, and business. Our goal is to help our listeners cultivate a life of vibrant health and connection. We interview special guests who share their expertise, the latest science and best practices for building a flourishing life. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses our voices to
1: encourage you, reveal spiritual truths, and simply inspire positive change in your life, your health, your faith,
0: family, work, and ministry. It's time for us to get real about walking with Jesus, living our calling and caring for our health, so that we can see and experience God's kingdom here on earth let's dive into today's episode. Welcome back to the Joy Prescription Podcast and I'm super excited today we have a special guest, Kim Fish. She's a licensed clinical social worker, licensed mental health counselor, and we are just thrilled to have you here today, Kim.
2: Thank you. so good to be here. I'm excited.
0: Yeah, well I'm going to read your bio and just kind of introduce you to our listeners and then I'll I'll share um, some questions uh, that we have for you. So Kim is uh, has a private counseling practice in, where,
2: where are you located? Fort Wayne, Indiana. Fort Wayne, Indiana,
0: <laughs> excellent. And you specialize in working with women and teens with relationship difficulties, depression, anxiety, helping people set healthy boundaries and self-worth and healing from childhood trauma. Uh, She provides family counseling and play therapy for children with an emphasis on attachment and adoption. Kim has worked in the foster care system and adoption agencies, as well as been on uh, staff at churches in Kentucky and Indiana. She's been married to Steve for 33 years. Congratulations. (laughs) And has two young adult daughters. She's passionate about helping people live a connected life to God, themselves, and others, and believes that connecting relationally brings an increased satisfaction in life. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> we definitely agree with that. So tell us more about yourself, Kim, for example, how how you first got started working in your business ministry, uh, and, and what motivates you to do what you do?
2: Sure. I think, you know, my interest really started even as a teenager and just watching some of the kids in our youth group who were struggling with, I would say, mental health issues and Mm -hmm. that kind of thing and watching the volunteers try to help them and be supportive of them, but really not knowing what to do. So you know, in my naivety, I thought, oh, I can just get a psychology degree and become a counselor, and I'll just volunteer for the rest of my life. So, Uh uh, you know, (laughs) left out the part that maybe we do need to support ourselves. So, uh, yeah, and then also my parents really speaking into me. My dad was a pastor and a counselor as Mm -hmm. well, and my mom noted just that I was gifted in that area, and so I feel like that just Kind of help give me some direction um, in, or maybe some affirmation in just getting started in a career. Then you know, working in a some different settings. Then most recently, I was on staff at our church and doing half time women's ministries, half time counseling. Eventually, full time counseling, mm-hmm. and absolutely loved it. It was just such a great fit for me. Um, but then. Life happens, and I had aging parents who were having health problems, and um, it was requiring a lot of care from me and uh, assistance because I'm the only I'm the only one of my siblings that live in this area. And I just found raising teenagers and caring for aging parents at the same time became pretty overwhelming with sure. working full time. Mm-hmm. And I have um, my co-workers here were actually interns with me at my church and I was supervising them. And they said, Kim, would you ever consider going into private practice? And I said, funny, you should ask. I was just journaling about that and <laughs> oh my saying, like, oh God, maybe I should go into private practice sometime. And so my coworker has a really great um experience in marketing and business which i am not gifted in those areas mm-hmm. and so and i have the ability to supervise them they they needed supervision clinically and so that's what i ended up doing i just said keep me posted and it just seemed to be affirmed and we ended up doing that and i i ended up joining in 2019 after about seven years on staff at our mm-hmm. church. I see. Well, it's just beautiful how
0: God opens those doors, plants the seeds, and brings yes. people in our path to to guide us and and lead us on our way. That's beautiful. Yeah. Many different hats, you know, just like uh, broken eye that's a part mm-hmm. of our our discussion around the joy mm-hmm. prescription is as women we do definitely wear many different hats and mm-hmm. mother and um, daughter to aging parents and trying to balance that with our work life and ministry and Taking care mm-hmm. of ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> yes, <In> exactly. <laughs> yes. yes. How
1: do you do that, Kim? How do you balance your roles as a wife, mom, daughter of aging parents, business owner, <laughs> all of that, while still staying authentically, emotionally connected to God and and yourself, and even others.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I would say imperfectly. I do it imperfectly, (laughs) first of all. (laughs) But I do feel like a couple of things that have helped are having a flexible mindset and being willing to adjust and adapt when I need to. And so, you know, knowing I'm doing what I'm doing right now but that doesn't mean that I'm going to be doing this forever or just being sensitive to what are the needs of my family? What are my needs? What, what are the needs of the people that I'm serving and knowing that that can change. So having just that flexibility, Um, but in terms of what helps me also stay connected, I would say, Several things, and I think they're all really important. And sometimes I'm doing them well, and sometimes I'm not, or some of them. But really having daily quiet time and time to be still and read um, the Bible, pray, journal, those kinds of things. So that's kind of the daily diet, I would say, that helps me stay connected to especially God, but also myself and, and my own needs. And I love doing retreats, both like attending them, leading them, and then just doing my own personal retreat. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I'll just take off for an overnight or uh, by myself or with a friend and, you know, just pack some really basic things, my music, (laughs) my Bible, my journal, and just, just get away. And I just find it's amazing what comes out of that time. No agenda, really, but just what can I, what can I hear? What can I respond to? What do I need? And then being able to pay attention to those kinds of things. Um, The other thing that I think as a mental health provider is we have so many resources that we can apply to ourselves. And I feel like that's one of the things that is really helpful when you're in this field is they're always in front of you. So you at least are always aware of them. Now, whether or not you're taking that time to be still and access them and apply them to your own life is is another thing. But I do find that those things help me when I take the time to do what I'm Helping other people develop in their life, so. <laughs> walking
0: the walk. Yes, exactly. That is the ongoing challenge. <laughs> right, right. I love that. That is so inspiring. Yes. The idea that you could just take a, a retreat by yourself. I,
2: yes, I might
0: take you up on.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so, and I love all the different, you know, pieces that can happen with that. Because when I've done it with a friend, it's great because we go do our own separate thing and then we'll meet back up and say, okay, so what, what came out of your time, mm. you know, that you were doing. And so you also have a time to process it, but other times it's just good to be by yourself. Nice. Nice. That's
0: you so well. retreat in our future, Cindy, <laughs> <laughs> I, know I do both yes. well, for you and me and also for our, our broader group of women in ministry and medicine. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, well gosh, Kim, you have just so much wisdom. I want to draw out some more practical Uh tips for us in terms of your expertise as a counselor. And I wanted to just focus in on anxiety a little bit. I know that's a common issue for many, many people and especially, uh, so in our current world that we live in. Mm -hmm. So how do you work with clients to help them identify the root cause of their anxiety and Mm -hmm. And also, if you could clarify for our listeners, the difference between stress and anxiety.
2: Sure. Well, I do think that it's really important to be thorough in when you're meeting with someone to really assess what's going on with them. So probably anxiety is the thing that we see the most coming into our office, but certainly there are other things that either go along with that or uh, may It may be happening instead or things they're experiencing. So being really thorough in assessing someone's background information, their current lifestyle, what's going on. Is there trauma in their background? Um, Is there possibly ADHD that's going on? Because that is a big contributor to depression and anxiety. And I would say especially anxiety for women. And so, you know, or is it just this general anxiety and there's kind of this bent that someone has to just being a little more anxious, or is there OCD going on? So I, I definitely use tools and assessments to do that, but also just interviewing and talking with people and hearing their story. And, you know, tell me about that and being able to figure out, okay, what is driving this because depending on what it is, it's going to determine what course of action you take to help them with that. Because if it's ADHD, you really need to do a lot of skill building and there's probably people feel really overwhelmed at just trying to manage a lot of things. So that's completely different if it's, there's been trauma in their background. And so just completely different approaches. And then also different if it's just kind of this general anxiety, there's not really a great Uh, reason or explanation for it. And so they're just different protocols and different responses that you would take. So that's what I do to just kind of assess it. I think, you know, the difference between stress and anxiety is a little bit tricky because they have a lot of similarities. And I think both of them are really normal. It's not like we have to pathologize stress and anxiety. Um, But depending on, again, what's causing it determines, is it stress and how pervasive it is? Is it more ongoing anxiety? So I usually think of stress as being a little more circumstantial. There might be something that's going on in your life. You have some, you know, responsibilities that maybe are extra. You're preparing for something that is just a big project. And so, yes, you're going to have stress. I would expect you to feel stressed. So let's just normalize that and validate that. Of course, you're going to feel stressed because this is a stressful situation. There are some pressures on us. Um, The similarities are sometimes those physiological reactions we can have a hard time catching our breath or, you know, we're feeling some of that tension in our stress or headaches and stomach aches and some of those kinds of things. And I think those are really bothersome to people. And sometimes you think, oh, I am having a heart attack. So people head off to the ER and find, no, it's actually just anxiety. So where stress is not just I'm not saying just. <laughs> Let me clarify that anxiety absolutely yes. miserable, and it's really mm-hmm. hard to deal with. And OCD as well, obsessive compulsive disorder. Maybe I should clarify. Yeah. My husband yeah. says we have our our own language <laughs> and little things that we know what those mean, but not everybody knows what all the you know abbreviations mean. Um, But sometimes those are so disturbing that we're then not only worried about whatever we've been worrying about and feeling anxious about, we're now also anxious about the physiological things that we're experiencing. So where stress is a little more transient, anxiety sticks around. And so if you're noticing something going on for a few months, if you notice it's interfering with multiple contexts in your life. So maybe your social life, you're functioning at home, maybe in your job, or you're not participating in things and you're avoiding things that maybe you used to like, or that just feel overwhelming to you. And also if it's anxiety, probably the reaction and the response seems bigger and more intense than what you would expect it to be. So anxiety, if it's definitely going on for six months, is I think that's a really long time to be experiencing those symptoms myself, but six months mm-hmm. is kind of the marker diagnostically that yeah, you probably are dealing with anxiety yeah. and need to get some help.
0: Well Kim, I love I love your approach of really digging you know down to the different layers within the psychological realm of things having to do with anxiety. I also want to just speak into the medical uh, perspective with anxiety. Mm -hmm. Certainly there's just a myriad of different physiological, biological root causes that have to do not anything with, you know, the psyche or how we're thinking, but about maybe how the thyroid is functioning or Mm -hmm. your gut microbiome or maybe you're going through perimenopause (laughs) and having hormone shifts. There's just innumerable uh, biological um, Mm. factors as well. And so I would just, also encourage everyone to, you know, if you are experiencing uh, difficulties with overwhelming stress or anxiety to address the medical piece from a a holistic standpoint and and really try to dig into those layers as well. And also just as you've mentioned, Kim, to to really um, sort through what's going on on the psychological side of things.
2: And I do look at that, the physiological as well, when people come in, because we do in our area, thyroid problems are really, really common Mm -hmm. and um, the hormonal certainly changes that people are going through. And often if I will ask if they've had a medical exam to check those things out, because we could spend all kinds of time and energy working on it from a mental health standpoint. And if you find out one of those things is just out of balance, then- it's kind of a wasted effort mm-hmm. until you get those addressed. So I appreciate you speaking into that as well.
1: Sure. Okay. Awesome. So can, as we've been talking about, um, people struggling with anxiety and overwhelm, but also with some other heavy emotions like anger, bitterness, um, you know, regret, things like that. So, what are some of the techniques that you use in counseling to help clients understand and then develop strategies to actually manage those emotions from a Christian perspective?
2: Okay, yeah. So, I think it is really important to see our emotions as our friends and our helpers and not to see them as this negative thing that we're dealing with, even when it doesn't feel good. And when we can do that, we can just see them as red flags, kind of waving saying Something's wrong here and you need to do something. And maybe it's like I said, you just need some time to rest and get away and um, decompress and kind of journal and just be still and and that kind of thing. But there could be other things going on. So I think the, your mindset about them can really be beneficial. So that's what I try and help people see is, okay, we can see that there are some red flags going on here. So how do we back ourselves up and just figure out what's going on and what do I need and helping people, which is, this is a little bit of a people look at you kind of weird and some people it's easier for them to do than others who are very disconnected from themselves, but What are you feeling and where are you feeling it in your body? Mm
0: -hmm.
2: And we do live in a really busy society that I think we're not always being very thoughtful about what is going on inside of us. And that could be physical, emotional, spiritual. It could be all different kinds of things. But when it comes to emotions, like what are you feeling and where are you feeling it? Because sometimes even where you're feeling it helps you know what you need to do. Mm-hmm. to deal with it. Um, so, you know, I would say kind of that mindset toward it, but then being able to look at, okay, what are you thinking about? What's going through your head? What are those, what are those thoughts that are maybe you're ruminating about? And what beliefs are they feeding that might not be true? And so how do we identify like what's true, what's a lie? What's helpful, what's not helpful. And sometimes just being able to, okay, how do we take our thoughts captive Mm -hmm. and evaluate them and say, okay, if they're good, if they're true, if they're consistent with scripture, I'm going to hold on to them. Mm -hmm. And if they're not, then how do we replace them and shift our thinking and maybe change our beliefs and look at, okay, what else could actually be true about this instead of what I'm believing and um, maybe just agreeing with maybe their messages that people have been told by other people um, or things that they've interpreted certain ways. And so, you know, you can change those things by being thoughtful about them. Um, Then being able to have an expression for those difficult emotions. So I think as Christians, sometimes we do a disservice to say, Uh, oh, we shouldn't be angry. Well, the Bible never says, do not be angry. It says in your anger, do not sin, but it doesn't say don't be angry. And you can look through scripture and you can see where God expressed anger and Jesus expressed anger and sadness. And so how can we give ourselves a healthy outlet for those? so that they're not coming out in hurtful ways, either toward ourselves or toward the people around us. And so I encourage a lot of journaling. Some people don't love to journal. So I try and help them be creative and okay, maybe you go on a walk and you just verbalize it where no one else has to hear it, but you can say unfiltered, whatever's going through your head and know that you, know, you can kind of sort through it. So I encourage people to write angry letters, like two people. Not to send them, I was clarify, do not mail them, <laughs> but just, just get it out and put it out. Like it's there, whether you're expressing it or not, and it could have an impact on you physically, or it could be feeding the depression and the anxiety because you're carrying it around inside of you. And so it is going to come out. So how about we figure out some ways to help it come out in a healthy way? And so not just anger, but I think that is probably a dominant emotion that just doesn't get some healthy expression, but also fear and paying attention to, okay, what am I actually fearing here? So that then I can figure out, how can I let myself feel that, know that I can get through this. I can handle this. I might not be able to do it on my own. I might need, you know, people, I might you know, I certainly need God's help to get me through this, but what, what do I need to do then to sort through this? Um, You know, for anxiety, when it's just more that general anxiety too, I, I really help people just engage with it differently. We are not our anxiety. It's something we're dealing with. So it's out here. So how can I kind of ignore it? Just not agree with it and engage with it. And I can acknowledge that it's there, but then I might just need to go do the thing that I value and the thing that brings joy to my life. And just know like, yep, it's going to keep sending these anxiety messages to me, but I don't have to listen to that. So those are some of the things, um, you know, that I do and just realizing that, um, all truth is God's truth. So I feel like there's so much really great research out there on different techniques. Um, I love emotional freedom tapping, which is kind of a physical thing that you're doing with, with your emotions, but you can tie in scripture and you can tie in different things. So there's so many ways to take, um, I would say research that's out there, even if it's from a secular perspective and you can apply biblical principles to it that so much of the time you find like, oh, look how consistent this is actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, one of those is the polyvagal theory, which has to do with the vagus nerve that runs from the top of your brain all the way down to your groin area, you know, and so it affects a lot of different things and helping people regulate that either when it's over active and overstimulating or when you just kind of shut down. And so one of the things that helps regulate that is singing. And I think, well, of course the Bible says make a joyful noise into the Lord. Sing, make music in your heart. You know, those things like, oh yeah, God kind of knew all of this right <laughs> before the research came out. So yeah. So those are I in a nutshell, those are some of the things that that I do.
0: Oh goodness, Kim, so that. much good stuff packed in there. I just want to, first of all, affirm and acknowledge the, I love how you have highlighted the importance of just respecting the the emotions and not (laughs) pushing them down and and just seeing them for what they are as important clues. And Mm -hmm and also highlighting the connection to our physical body that's so so key and i i mm-hmm. preach this in my <laughs> medical practice about how physical symptoms whether it's you know upset tummy or heartburn mm-hmm. or headaches or pain insomnia all of those things they're they're not the enemy they're they're mm-hmm. actually friendly mm-hmm. gentle sometimes gentle sometimes loud painful right. reminders or messages that the body is sending us and that's mm-hmm. again coming back to god and his brilliance of how he's just put us together in a masterful amazing way that uh, um you know, our body is trying to protect us and and i i oh, gosh we've come to similar conclusions about just how science and mm. you know how our physiology is um, so amazing. It, it just highlights God's fingerprints and painting it really does our, our bodies. And <laughs> I came to a similar conclusion about the polyvagal theory and just you know, really tending to our nervous system and sending the body messages of safety. Is, right. is so important for for helping to heal chronic anxiety and right and virtually every other <laughs> disease process there yes. there is. So thank you for highlighting all of that and sure. and I actually had um, a similar kind of analogous epiphany along my professional journey that. God invented cognitive behavioral therapy, right? Yes, (laughs) the Romans twelve too. You know that's my transformed. Yep, (laughs) by the renewing of your mind, be transformed. And um, he he wired that capacity into us with neuroplasticity. and it's just such a awe inspiring uh, Mm -hmm. thing to know how much capacity we have to change and to heal through. Mm -hmm grabbing a whole of our thoughts and shifting them and, mm-hmm. and allowing I, that to do its magic. In the body. I
2: love all the research that has come out on the brain since I started in the field, mm-hmm. which was kind of like, Oh yeah, your brain, what you have is what you have when I first started. And then all this research that's come out to show how much you can change those neural pathways in your brain by doing a number of these things. And so I just think that's so hopeful it is very hopeful and empowering Mm -hmm. for sure. Right. (laughs) And
0: and part of what I love is just how the connection uh, that you're speaking about, that you, um, encourage people around, you know, not only to ourselves and God, but to each other is, is so critical at our healing journey. And Mm -hmm. We're all about that here at the joy prescription Right, (laughs) um, is supercharging our connections. And I would just love to hear you discuss the role of community in Mm -hmm. the healing process and and how you encourage clients to kind of find their niche or their supportive communities and connect with others who who might be sharing similar experiences. Sure. Mm
2: -hmm. Yes. I am really big on community. I have I I think there's so much value in it in every area of our life, including when I had little kids, a friend and I, we would get together and we're like, okay, we're going to clean at your house for an hour and a half, and then we're going to eat lunch, and then we're going to go to your house and clean for an hour and a half, and so in, you know, three or four hours, we've done it together, where houses are cleaned, and we've had lunch together, so I mean, that's kind of a silly community thing, but yeah, anything that... That's work that I can make into community and and having fun. I'm gonna do it. So Man, that's
0: so sweet. <laughs>
2: yeah, but you know, in terms of really helping um, people develop community that can help with mental health too, I think it's so important. And so some ways that that I encourage people is have two or three people that are your safe people who you can just text call anytime and say, you know what? It's a hard day. I'm really struggling with this. Could you just pray for me? So it doesn't have to be a major thing, but it's just that reminder that we need each other. We're created for connection. We're created for relationship. God himself created Adam and Eve so he would have relationship with them. And um, so something as simple as that To I think there's some great ministries out there that provide groups that are supportive like celebrate recovery that a lot of churches offer and usually you can search, I know in our community, I can just search, celebrate Recovery, Fort Wayne. and it brings up every church with every meeting that's happening in the schedule. So you know being able to find some of those groups that maybe meet your needs and maybe one maybe the first group you go to isn't a great fit. That's okay. Go to another one and, Mm -hmm. you know, eventually you'll probably find one that you click with and that will be good for you. I think small groups just in terms of like life groups or people that you're getting together with that you're just doing life with. It naturally kind of builds those relationships. I know they can be challenging to navigate sometimes because it's a bunch of imperfect people
0: mm-hmm. together, mm-hmm. and
2: it's messy sometimes. And feelings can get hurt. And you know, you have you learn how to be tolerant of each other and patient with one another. So it it develops some of those um, fruits in our lives that mm-hmm. we need. But also, we can help each other and support each other. And encourage one another when we're doing that. And you know, I've had a couple friends. Um, one in particular that comes to mind who had an abortion when she was in—I'm guessing high school—and she was probably in her forties when I met her. And she had never talked about it.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And we were just friends, and then we were ministry leaders together, volunteer, and doing women's Bible studies is how she experienced healing and started talking about her story and then sharing her story and then offering a study on, you know, post-abortion recovery in our community. So I think Bible studies, like scripture is going to speak to us and provide healing to us. And then the people around us that we're sharing that with. So, you know, those are some different ways that I think sort of enlisting community can be really helpful. beautiful beautiful (laughs) examples yeah i used to um be pretty
1: actively involved with our local um, pregnancy center and they developed a post-abortion recovery ministry where they Mm -hmm. offered a bible study group and then a a the conclusion was a retreat in which they yeah. really went and um did like a physical action that represented the forgiveness the act of forgiveness for themselves forgiving themselves for the thing that they right. had tried to hide and and not share and it was such a beautiful thing and mm-hmm. I'm so glad that there's more of that Uh, type of community building for the things that, you know, often people want to try to hide or have shame over that they can find freedom. So I love that you're bringing that up in the community aspect.
2: Mm -hmm. And I think churches can offer those kinds of things. When I was on staff at our church, have so much flexibility you don't have to deal with insurance no one's dictating (laughs) what you can and can't do you know in the church setting in terms of some of those kinds of things and you know so we just offered there were several women dealing with identity and self-worth and so okay sure let's do a small group and we'll we'll kind of talk about those things and the relationships that came out of that that continued after the group wasn't meeting and Another one for women who are in difficult marriages and it, you know, people cycled in and out over maybe a two or three year period as life circumstances changed, but the support that they were able to give each other. And another one that um, one of my interns did was women whose husbands are addicted to pornography and the relationships that have continued out of that is just incredible. So it's, you know, you're a support and you're helping each other through something hard, but then the friendships that can continue even afterward. And when people maybe feel like they're in a better place.
1: Yeah. 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 And the, and the comfort that comes from just knowing that you're not alone in your experience, Mm -hmm. Sometimes that's half the battle.
2: (laughs) It is. And you know, when you go through trauma, it's traumatic. The event can be traumatic and the experience can be traumatic, but if you are in it with someone and there's someone there to help you, the impact is much less than if you are all alone.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. So something that you brought
1: up earlier, talking about the when you first came into your field and just how things have changed, um, with all the information around the brain and mm-hmm. uh, your mind. So I would love to know, because I, I feel like this is starting to, to change, maybe slowly. Um, but how do you help clients navigate the tension between their faith and mental health struggles? Because um, there, you know, there's an, a stigma. Um, how do you help them address that stigma around seeking professional help for mental health concerns with, within the Christian community?
2: Yeah, that is, that's a great question. And I think you're right that it is changing. And I think churches, you know, ones that maybe have a few more resources are offering ministries to meet those needs or helping with payment and, you know, assisting in getting services that people need and counseling sessions and that kind of thing. So I think there is a lot more that's going on with that. But, you know, if we look at the Bible and we, we look at some of these characters who we admire and who are kind of spiritual giants, we can see that they were dealing with mental health issues that just might not have had that descriptor. And so even sharing those scriptures with clients, um, I've also spoken at churches, you know, and presented, you know, done the sermon on some of these passages to raise awareness of, of mental health. But If you look at Paul, who's like our spiritual giant of the new Testament in second Corinthians one, he's going through all of these circumstances that he was in. And he talks about the comfort that, you know, when we receive comfort, then we can give that comfort to others when they're struggling. And if you just keep going down through that passage, he goes through, we were so distressed that we despaired even of life. I mean, that's pretty discouraged. Mm -hmm. And this is the guy who seems to really have it all together and know what to do. Um, Elijah in first Kings or yeah, first Kings 19, I think it is. Um, I mean, the guy is depleted Mm -hmm. and, you know, kind of going back to the stress anxiety difference when we don't deal with stress and we kind of keep this ongoing level of intense stress, it is going to take its toll and eventually become something more serious and become anxiety or become depression. And so I think, you know, poor Elijah, he had just really been through it. And, but you just look at how God responded to him all through that passage. And he met his need and there wasn't shaming. And there wasn't this, what's wrong with you? Get up and get going. But he fed him and he told him to rest. You know, the angel came to him and and said these things, Um, but also helped him get back on track. And then let's just look at the Psalms. I mean, we could go on and on there, right? And God is close to the brokenhearted. So, So we have this all in front of us in scripture, and I'm not quite sure how we started separating it all out and seeing it as different, but we are created mind, body, soul. So how is pursuing mental health support and assistance any different than Ah, I'm having this physical problem, I need to go to the doctor, or, you know, I'm struggling spiritually, I think I need to go talk to my pastor, or I need to, um, you know, get involved in something that kind of helps meet this spiritual need that I have. So I think just normalizing it, talking about it in scripture, having people share their stories in our churches and other contexts, and just keeping that conversation open, for people who are struggling just continues to reduce the stigma and give people that freedom that they need to say, yeah, this is, this is okay. And this is good. Of course, we all need help and support in different ways at different times.
1: So I'm curious also um, from a, you know, faith perspective in your counseling practice, how do you work with
2: clients who may not share the same beliefs as you? hmm Well, that's the good news about having all this nice research that we can use. We can help people wherever they are. And I honestly love it when I have that opportunity. Um, And so when people come into my office, I have a question on my intake. You know, do you have a relationship with God or some kind of spiritual connection? And depending on what they write, then I'll, I mean, I'll question more and ask a little bit more about it. But I think it's just an opportunity to be Jesus to them and meet them where they are. I mean, that's what Jesus does with us. He meets us where we are, wherever we are, and then he walks with us. And so for me, it's just an opportunity to do that. How can I meet them where they are, provide them with what they need? And so they may not be expressing any kind of spiritual need, but they're coming to me because they're having a need. And so being able to meet them there and love them and care for them and be present with them. I feel like I don't have to be anyone else's Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is very capable of doing his job and he can just do it through me. And he knows what their needs are internally better than I do. But if I can show respect for their beliefs and where they are and just be who I am in the hands and feet of Jesus. Maybe they will see what, you know, where that's coming from. I've had people ask me about a picture I have in my office of Jesus holding a lamb up like close to his heart and his neck. And you know, it's one of my favorite scripture verses that talks about he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. And so, you know, they see that, whether they ever ask me anything about it or not. Um, and I hope they make the connection and that they get good care and feel loved when they come to meet with me and it will give them a taste of Jesus that will make them thirsty. Yeah. And if they don't, I love them anyway. <laughs> <That's> exactly <laughs> so, <right. yeah. laughs>
1: Yes. Yes. Uh, another topic, uh, kind of a hot topic in the, you know, ties in our spiritual life and our, our soul life. And also um, our physical health is the topic of forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And I know there's lots of studies out there talking about the connection of, you know, our health and, and when we're battling or having a difficult time with forgiving either ourselves or others, you know, that can re- um, result in a suppressed immune system or increased blood pressure or in- anxiety, depression as well. So how do you help clients deal with the issues related to forgiveness, both in terms of forgiving others, but also forgiving
2: themselves? Yeah, I think forgiveness is such a huge key. And whether you're looking at, you know, whether it's someone who's a believer or not a believer, you can still choose to forgive someone and experience some freedom, From kind of those difficult emotions and some of those effects that you're talking about. So, I think I didn't grow up, and this is no criticism of anyone or of the church, even, but I didn't grow up really understanding how to forgive. I understood the importance of forgiving, but I think sometimes we don't have those practical avenues of how does this play itself out. So, I I love Neil Anderson's material that, um, he has these steps to freedom in Christ. And one of his steps is on forgiveness. And when I was on staff at a church in Kentucky, we would do these freedom sessions with people. So I have just taken that forgiveness piece and used it in all different contexts, but you know, what you do is you just really ask God, like, who do I need to forgive? And what do I need to forgive them for? Mm -hmm. And then you make a list who are the, what is that? I don't have to try and You know, conjure up who those people are or what they are, but what comes to mind? How can I make a list of like what those things are? And then being able to pray through like, I'm choosing to forgive this person for what this is what they did. And this is how it made me feel. And this is where I think that connection with our emotions like, this is how I felt. I felt betrayed or I felt rejected or I felt you know dismissed or invisible or whatever it is but identifying that emotion allows us to forgive from our heart because if we stay disconnected from that emotion we haven't allowed ourselves to feel the pain that that person caused and not that we have to sit there and feel it for like two weeks right but, you know for that time this is this is how it's impacted my life and i choose to forgive anyway and really asking God to help you do that. But I think making that choice and just praying through that, I'm forgiving this person for this, even though it made me feel this. And I pray God's blessings on them and being able to kind of take that step. So I really like all of that put together. It's not saying there are no negative consequences for this person's behavior. I mean, there may be some boundaries that you have in place with someone who's been hurtful or who has violated you in some way. You may not have any contact with them. Um, There may be other consequences for that person, but it's it's just letting them off your hook and saying, God, I'm going to trust you with this person, with what happened, and I'm going to let it go And I'm going to walk in freedom. I mean, when we forgive, we're the ones that experience freedom. They don't necessarily even know we've done anything different, but it's, it's good for our hearts. It's good for our souls. It's good for our bodies to do that. Um, Then, you know, in terms of forgiving ourselves, I think that is such a, such an interesting concept because I don't really see a lot of biblical um, evidence that we need to forgive ourselves and, and I think it might just be a choice of words. I think it's harder sometimes for us to receive God's forgiveness and be able to accept that forgiveness because, Mm -hmm. you know, we do do things wrong. We have hurt other people. And so there are things that we've done that we're ashamed of. And so how can we say, God, this is what I've done. And I'm so sorry. And I know you have paid the price to offer forgiveness, and I I'm going to accept that gift that you've given me of forgiveness. Then I think again the letting go. How do I let go of that? How do I say I'm not going to beat myself up for that? I'm not going to walk in shame with that any longer because that was paid for on the cross. And so then letting go. So the receiving of forgiveness and then letting go.
0: I love that. Yeah. It- yeah, I would love to pick your brain a little bit about what you said about the self-forgiveness piece, <laughs> just get yeah. your perspective, because that was actually one of the most healing questions that a, a dear friend and fellow integrative physician asked me yeah. about a long, complicated, kind of painful Uh, life business journey that I had experienced and I was sharing with her and she looked me in the eye and said have you forgiven yourself Mm -hmm. yet and and that actually was really like a beautiful epiphany Mm -hmm. healing process for me and I I think maybe it was you know just releasing myself from the the intense inner critic <laughs> that wants right. to, you know, judge and put shame, and so just, you know, releasing those mm-hmm. negative emotions. But yeah, it's 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 an interesting topic. I it is, your yeah. Perspective I, on it,
2: <laughs> right? I mean, I think that's just where I've landed. But I feel like that is a really common question for people to need to consider. This, okay, what do I need to do with myself, right? So I, I really think it's more semantic than yeah yeah what are you i calling think you're right it? <laughs> what are you calling it but you know mm-hmm. technically god has done the forgiving and mm-hmm. we can just receive it rest in it and let it go and but that critic right that can can easily rise up is
0: yeah
2: exactly uh, yeah. yes well,
0: i could talk to you all day can, uh, <laughs> i loved it um just to have you wrap up by sharing, um, I definitely have lots of patients that either have not sought counseling at all, but really need to, mm-hmm. or maybe they've had counseling before and, and maybe haven't found the right fit or worse yet have somehow been hurt by the process. Um, mm-hmm. What advice do you have for people, any of our listeners who might be considering seeking out counseling for the first time and or hesitant to, to take that step?
2: Well, obviously I'm a proponent. So (laughs) I I sometimes tell people if I had the time and the money, I would just go every week to counseling myself because Mm -hmm. I think it's so valuable and so important, but like on a practical level, this is what I tell a lot of people find a large church close to you and call their care ministries or email their care ministry you know, pastor or whoever it is and ask them, who would you recommend for this situation that I'm dealing with or this issue that I'm struggling with? Because a lot of times even if there's not a counselor on staff at a church, the, the ministry staff, they get familiar with who they're sending people to in the community. And so they might be able to direct you because it's pretty, I hear from people, it's overwhelming trying to find someone who's good. And like, you know, you can trust. And so if you can at least get that, it doesn't mean that that person is going to be the best fit for you, but you might increase your chances, um, of knowing like, okay, they are really good with this type. Of an issue. And then I would say, if you go to someone and you don't click with them and it's just not a good fit, don't give up. Just realize, like, I'm sure not everybody loves coming to me and they don't always come back. So I hope they've gone and found someone else who maybe just clicks with them or they like their personality or their approach better. So I would say, don't give up. I think the value is when you find someone that you can kind of say, okay, this is where I can just unload all of these things that are really difficult. It frees up some of your other relationships to just be a support mm-hmm. instead of to carry the load that they kind of don't know what to deal with. Yeah. yeah. And so, I, so I think it just brings that, you know, those, those healthy boundaries and, and knows like okay then I can enjoy these other aspects of this friendship or this relationship and I can just dump everything over here Mm because they can handle it
0: (laughs) (laughs) and and of course then you need to take care of yourself (laughs) yeah so then I can go on a retreat (laughs) that's right oh goodness well um how who is your ideal person that you like to work with? Um, I know you're probably uh, restricted by licensing. Um, who who can you work with and, and how can people reach you if they fall into that category and sure. want to learn more about your, your work and how you help people?
2: Right. Well, right now I'm licensed in Indiana and I'm licensed in Maine, actually. Uh-huh. So um, I can... I can do counseling with people in both of those states. Um, I am going to be steering the direction of doing some coaching too, which then allows you to go across state lines. Oh, nice! Uh And so, yeah, my daughter's headed off to college. So I'll be in a new season of life soon. And so I'm, I'm looking at being able to do some things um, with the kind of coaching angle. And so that does give you more flexibility with meeting with people out of state. Um, So, but I do, I love working with parents. So I'm a play therapist, work with teenagers. And I, I just see an incredible value of supporting parents and helping them know how to help their kids. And so love working with women. Um, Those would probably be my, you know, two big ones when it comes to going out of state, but I I do love play therapy too. Um, I'm investing in also giving supervision to other therapists and play therapist so i like investing in mentoring and doing that kind of thing as well so yeah those are the nice. places and wonderful kind of, yeah the people <laughs> so excellent so
0: pretty much any any woman <laughs> mother um, can yeah. reach out to you wow. right you so much kim this has been really lovely yeah. it's been yeah. fun to connect with you and and hear your perspective on on these important topics so thank you so right. much for your time
2: you're welcome and thank you for having me. It's been really nice talking with you, you know, through this process and just, I, I love what you're doing and your emphasis of pulling the ministry and medicine together. It's so creative. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah. Well, it's all God.
0: Yeah, <laughs> He's
2: the ultimate
0: <laughs> the creator. <laughs> awesome. Well, you take, take care, care. and okay. uh, we'll, we'll see you next time. Okay. Bye-bye. Sounds good. <laughs> Bye. You've been listening to the Joy Prescription podcast. The Joy Prescription is an international network of Christian women leaders in our respective fields of ministry and medicine. We invite you to join us at thejoyprescription.com. Our mission is to equip one another with the knowledge,
1: practical tools, and loving, grace-filled support we need to
0: flourish in all spheres of our lives and callings. Our goal is to cultivate a vibrant and healing community for women in ministry and medicine through networking, exchange of ideas, spiritual formation, soul care retreats, holistic health education, and entrepreneurship, business, and leadership training.
1: The ultimate goal of our community is to support each other so that we can live with great purpose, joy, and fruitfulness for the kingdom of God.
0: Tune in next month on the second Tuesday for the release of our next episode of the Joy Prescription Podcast for women in ministry and medicine. Bye for now.